listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Can turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, we've started this series, and at this point, the ushers are coming down. They'll have Bibles that are for you to have, um, to, to borrow or to take home. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to be in the Word of God and, and to have a copy of that with you so that uh, as we go through the Word, you'll see this, have your Bibles open or your tablets or your um, whatever technology on so you can follow along, so you can highlight, underline, take notes, encourage you to have some sort of a journal or paper, the connection card to, to be able to follow along and write down some of the scriptures and the things we'll be talking about so you can go home and you can continue to study the word of God and, and even as it gets flushed out even further this week in our small groups. And so encourage you to do that, um, to, to grab hold of a Bible and as I said, take it home. If you do not have one, that is our gift to you. We believe God's word, it is living, it is active and it can change and transform lives. And so, um, Please, uh, let's, let's, and, and we're going to dig into it um, here this morning. We're going to continue on in this series. You know, one of the more embarrassing things that can happen is when someone walks up to a woman assuming that she is pregnant only to find out that she is not. And some of you have probably have either have done that or perhaps you've been on the receiving end of a comment or a question like that. I love what I heard one time of a pastor's response to it in providing a little defense and, uh, for himself and for the question that he had embarrassed himself on. And he said, you can't help it because sometimes it can look like something is going on when really there isn't. And I thought, hey, that's a pretty good way to, to kind of dig out of that one. And, and, and sadly, that statement um, can be very true in that light. But even sadly, it can be true for those who claim to be followers of Christ, to be Christians, to be Bible-believing Christian people living in North America, living in Canada. And, and, and it looks like there's something going on by our activity and by our words. It's very possible to come to church week after week, to be a part of a small group, to serve, to say the right things, to learn and say the the right lingo and to, to, to have a good working knowledge of that. And it looks like something is going on, but down deep inside, there's very little or even nothing that is going on when it comes to true fellowship with God and when it comes to true fellowship with God's people. And, and maybe it's an indicator that there's actually no spiritual life at all, that, that, that there is nothing going on. And in 1 John, this book is written by a very old, passionate pastor, apostle of Jesus who is writing to Christians because he wants and desires his readers then and those that take the word today to have authentic faith. Not to simply look and fake it like something is going on and saying the right things and doing the right things, but to day by day enjoy a fellowship with God and with others that is out of this world. And this is what the Apostle John is desiring here in the book of 1 John. And in his day, as in this day that we live, in, in, there, there were competing theology, ideas, philosophies, teachings from the hands of false teachers that were leading people astray. And this is very much alive today. Now understand this, that false teachers generally arise from within the body of Christ, within the church. It's one of the key ways that the devil will attack the body of Christ. And that is something we need to be aware of. And, and would love to see false teaching rise up even within good churches. And, and they will prey on people. Now, now listen to this. Who often, they want to know God. They want to do his will. They want the deeper things. They want to be close to God. And they want to be used by him. And so this is vital as to why it is important that we know the word of God. That it's just not a bit of a head knowledge of, you know, the, the right Sunday school answers and the stories, but that we, we get to know the Word of God and uphold its teaching and its doctrines. And, and, and this is what we see here in the book of 1 John. And in this book that he writes, the 105 verses that, that were then added as far as the, 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 the verse allotment, but there's 105 verses, not a very long book, but a very important book. And here we have at least four stated reasons if you were to read through the book of 1 John, we'll see at least four reasons why he says, I'm writing to you this because, and he goes on to say that. And the first reason, the first stated reason that John gives us, and we looked at it last week, was in John chapter 1, verse 4. He, he writes, he says, so that our joy may be full. 
One of the reasons, the first reason that John gave uh, this letter to, to the churches was so that we could experience joy, fullness of joy. In verse, one, in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And he's talking of fullness of joy. And we talked about that last week, and we're going to continue on with this in a moment. The second reason for writing is that we would have victory over sin rather than bondage. Sin always leads to bondage. It may look attractive. It may look fun. It may look like everyone's doing it. And for a season, it will be fun. And it will promise some excitement and some thrills and new experiences. But sin carries a hook. There's always a hook to sin. And it is devastating. And it is very demanding. And it leads to bondage. And, and John wanted his readers, he wants you and I to have victory over sin rather than live, live in bondage. In, in chapter uh, 2 verse 1, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Nothing taps out spiritual growth faster in the life of a believer than unconfessed sin. The third reason why he's writing is, is to protect from deception and false teachers. He says that in chapter 2 verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He's like, open your eyes. You got to think about this here. Here's what's really going on. Fourth reason, for the assurance of salvation. I write these things in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in his name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know today if you have eternal life? This past week, I, I've been a little kind of shaken up just in, in my spirit, and I've said a few things to my family. I don't want to leak out too much of what's going on, but now I'm leaking it out, I guess. Um, there's a guy that I went to college with, a guy who I've seen around Kelowna, a guy who's my age, who this past week was found dead in his bed. We believe that it was a heart attack that he had. And life do you know for sure that if your life ended today, that you would have eternal life? This is what John was concerned about, that people would know beyond, a, not, a, not a false faith, not from a false gospel, but from the word of God. Do you know that today? And this is why he's writing this, and this is why we're chewing into this book over the next number of weeks and months. And last week we stopped at verse 4 of chapter 1, and we're going to continue on. I want to read verse 4 as a context as, as to get rolling into verse 5. And so in verse 4 it says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Joy is not a worldly manufactured kind of joy. That's not what he's talking about here. True joy is found in being in right relationship with God and in right relationship with those around us. You have those two Things going on, you will experience a joy that is out of this world, that the world, no spills, no thrills, no chills, whatever it would be, could ever even come close to that. Right relationship, right relationship with those around you leads to a life of joy. That is what we will see here in this passage, like in this book of 1 John, and, and even in Psalm 16, verse 11. You can write down this verse and underline it in your Bibles at some point. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is from the hand of God. This is what he wants to give to his followers. He wants to give us joy, fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore, now and in eternity. Joy flows from a life that knows Jesus Christ personally and rightly. That's what we talked about last week. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. It's online. There's CDs available. You can take that and, and listen to it if you didn't hear it or listen to it again. But, the, but what we're talking about here, we're talking about the biblical Jesus. Not the new age, not the watered down, not the Jesus that I think that Jesus is. It is the Jesus that we see in the word of God. Not the false teacher version of Jesus, but the Jesus that we see in and through the word of God and what God has to say about Jesus who is made manifest to us, who, or, or God who is made manifest to us in Jesus. And joy flows when we're in right relationship with God and with others. And then today we're going to continue on in verse 5. John is, is writing though about what hinders, what halts, what stops dead in our tracks, the joy bus. This is what, 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 what derails the joy train or whatever you want to call it. This will halt joy in your life faster than anything. And this is what we're, we're digging into today. There's nothing 
that will stop it faster than this. And so let's get started in verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. I'm going to stop there in a moment. This is the message we've heard, it says there. And in the Greek, the, the, the understanding that he's saying, he says, when he's talking about this message that we have heard, the, 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 uh, the way that he is writing this is, is saying, it's still, we've heard it and it's still ringing in our ears. Just think about, the, about it. This is like 50 years at least since the Apostle John was with Jesus, since he saw Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and saw the new church come to life and, and to see everything that happened in the life of Christ and then the life after, after Christ ascended up into heaven. And, and it's still this message and these realities, he, it, it's still ringing in this 85 to 90-year-old man's ears and, and in his life, and, and he, he, it's still ringing in his ears and he says, and I want to proclaim this message to you here today. This is written with passion and it's written for you and for I even here today. And what's he fired about? What's he fired up about? What is this message? What is the message we're talking about? It's the gospel. The message is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the one thing, the one person that can truly transform and change a life. And it's Jesus and so he's fired up about the gospel. This is the message we've heard. We've heard from him. We've heard from Jesus. And now I'm proclaiming it 50, 60 years later. I'm proclaiming it to you folks. And now 2,000 years later, it is being proclaimed to us as well. And folks, these truths, these realities, what we're digging into here today, this power is available for you and for I today. It is available for, uh, for us to experience a transformation. And this is what we're going to call today because this is what John calls it here. This is what happens when we walk in the light. This is how we walk in the light. So what does this mean? The first thing about walking in the light means that we have an understanding. It understands the truth about God. That God is light. It understands the truth about God. It says that in the last part of verse 5, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Notice that little extra in there? Underline that in your Bibles. I encourage you to do that. In him there is no darkness at all. None whatsoever. Now, if we were to go out on the street, if we were to stop the message and we were to go to the running room or to Save On or to Winners or um, any of these stores or out on the streets later on this afternoon, go down to City Park and we were to do a little interview and we would ask people, so tell me, what is God like? What do you think God is like? What do you think the number one answer we would receive from contestants that we would be asking or even here? What would we say the number one characteristic or quality? What would the general public, what would people say God is love. Yeah, yeah, some of you are jumping ahead because you know what we're talking about here today. But the majority of people would say, oh, God is a God of love. And he is. He is a God of love like we could never know. He is a God of love. And, and John gets to that in chapter 4, verse 8, when he says, God is love. And he says, and this love was made manifest through Jesus. John three sixteen. he wrote that book too. And just few books further ahead when he wrote the gospel of, of, of John. And he says, for God so loved the world. We know that God is love. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, in Deuteronomy 7, 9, he talks about a steadfast love, an unchanging love. Love is a definite, important, mind-blowing attribute of God that he would love someone like you and me. That is mind-blowing that he would love us in that way. And God is definitely a God of love. But above that and before that, folks, this is important that we understand this. Please dial in on this. This is vital that we understand this. That above God being a God of love, John is saying here and he's declaring the truth that God is light. And God is light and in him there is no darkness. What? At all. This is important. Now, do we have that picture of my backyard? Do we have that? Did we get that? Okay. So um, here's a picture of, uh, of our backyard. It's a little on the dark side, but, um, and, and it's a panogra pan panoramic picture, so it's a little kind of exaggerated a little bit. But in our backyard, this is just stepping right outside the, the back door, we have a lot of wildlife where we live. And, and, and we have deer like crazy. They've just done damage this year to, to trees and, and, uh, and, and have left uh, friendly little deposits uh, all over our yard. And, and, and then we have like coyotes that we 
we've had come, come for little visits and marmots and raccoons and, and, and then the neighborhood cats and, and, and all of this. And, and it's pretty easy to, to, to go out the back door, take a look in, um, you know, throughout the day and to see the animals. And, and we'll see the marmot just sitting up there just, just asking me to give it some encouragement to leave. And, and, and I have found ways to give some of the wildlife a little encouragement to kind of move along and sometimes verbally and other times other ways. And, and just to say, please get off my property. You're not wanted here. And, and usually they oblige eventually. And, 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 and so we have this. And, and, but one of the times that, or, or the time that the wildlife are most present and most active are, is when? It's at night. This is what our backyard looks like at night. When I open up the backyard, there are, there's no light. It is pitch dark. You can barely see a thing. So I can either just stand there and try to look for animals or, or you know, I could even just take my, you know, my, my phone flashlight and, and that will give me a little bit to be able to see perhaps, you know, or... Um, I, I took what I usually have right at, uh, you know, our back door is I have one of these. And, and, and this is a pretty good sized little spot, spotlight, little flashlight here, you know. And so with this, and I'm sure my neighbors think I'm totally nuts because in the evenings throughout, you know, probably four or five times if we're at home in the evening or even this morning when I was up and it's still dark, I, 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 I have to go and check the property. You know, I feel like a trapper checking his trap line, you know. And so, you know, I, I'm just out there scouting it out for animals. And so, you know, I do this scouring throughout, and I'm sure our neighbors, if they're looking out and wondering, what is that Lutzer guy doing? Does he think he's a lighthouse or something? And, and anyway, so, so, so this light helps me be able to see the wildlife, and, and light shines through the darkness. The light reveals what is going on. It is exposing what is hidden, and the light is so helpful in that way. And, and, and in the spiritual sense, more than just in my backyard, we see that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And he uses here this double negative, which is probably improper English, but, but it perfectly describes God. He wants us to be able to understand in God there is no darkness. Even here, when I'm flashing this around, whether it's here, there's still dark areas. It's, it's still a limited kind of thing. With God, there is no darkness because he radiates light. Nothing, absolutely nothing is hidden from God. What you do in the closet is not hidden from God. What goes on in your mind is not hidden from God. There is nothing that is hidden from him. And light exposes the darkness. Now the word light carries huge significance in the word of God. We could spend a number of weeks going through all of the depth of the meaning of the word light that we see in the word of God. It's mentioned at least 275 times in the Bible. And we see it often as a reference to God and who he is. And it's a beautiful description of who he is because light is a way that it describes God in his glory, in his truth, in his purity, in his holiness, in his truthfulness, and his power. And yes, God is a God of love, but before that, he's a God of light, of truth, of power, of holiness, of glory. And we have to understand that we, we have to get there. And, and if you don't believe me on this, and here's a great old famous preacher who, who I came across the, this quote this week. I want to share it with you. The words are on the screen. If you don't begin with God's holiness, you will never understand God's plan of salvation through the cross of Christ. If God is only love, then the cross is unnecessary and meaningless. Second, if we start with God's holiness, it exposes all false claims of fellowship with God. In our day, as in John's, many claim to have fellowship with God, but often this is an empty claim because of their, it's in their own imagination with a false God that they have made up. True fellowship is with the holy God, not with a God, not, not with a good buddy God. And lastly, starting with God's holiness is the only way to true joy. It is easy to have a false peace if you have a user-friendly God. If you bring God down to man's level, then you can enjoy peace with God without dealing with your sins. But it's a false peace that will not hold up in the day of judgment. True peace and joy come from being truly reconciled to God through the blood of his son, Jesus. Relationships thrive in the light. When nothing is hidden between you and God, 
and even in our relationships here on earth. When there is nothing hidden in our relationship with God or with one another, relationships thrive. And that is where we find the fullness of joy. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus then declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God is light, and, and that light shines in the darkness. And what does light do? It brings forth life. Think of in your garden. Things have been slow developing this spring because the sun hasn't been shining very much, right? As soon as that sun comes out, you watch things just grow. And, well, not literally, but you see throughout the course of the day just, just the blossoms and the buds, and you see new life come. Why? Because light is shining on it. And light brings life. That's just another one of the attributes of life. Of, of the word light. And the good news of the gospel starts with an understanding that God is light, that he's holy, he is pure, and in him there's no darkness at all. And when we are saved, when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, God calls us out of a life of darkness into his light. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of, his, of, of him who called you out of darkness into his wonder, marvelous light. And 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, You, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And a follower of Christ is someone who desires to walk in the light, not living in darkness. And the good news of the gospel starts with this understanding of God. We have a right understanding of God, the truth about God, that he is light, that he is holy, he is pure, he is true. But there's a problem. There's a problem to this whole scenario and this understanding of who God is. And it's, that problem is a three-letter word, a terrible three-letter word. And it's the word sin. It literally means missing the mark. It's an archer's term. I think Keith explained that a number of months ago when he preached. And, and, and just how, as an archer, will take and, and, and shoot at a target. And if they miss the target, that's called a sin. That means they missed the mark. It's a failure, to, in our case, to live up to God's mark. To live up to God's standard. To live up to, to God's goal for our lives. And this just doesn't mean outward actions, but also inwardly of what goes on, where we have a twisted allegiance to God on the outside, but on the inside we're twisted in that it's an allegiance to ourselves. And so the second thing we must understand is the truth about sin, or is referred to here, walking in darkness. And we see this in verses 6 and 8 and 10, and I'm going to read those verses here and you can follow along. If we say we have fellowship with him while we, are, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say, in verse 8, it continues on, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10 it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. And so in verse 6, we are seeing here, in John's days, we talked about last, last week, there was these Gnostics. We see the beginning of Gnosticism that was going on. There were these false teachers that were excusing and denying or downplaying the seriousness of sin and, and, and could justify sinful living and sinful activities. And we even see this today, don't we? People claiming to have a fellowship and a relationship with God, but living in outright sin in opposition to what God's word says. And this walking in darkness isn't just, isn't a reference just simply to the sin that we commit. It's, it's greater than that, that, that we, we stumble into, that we fall into. This is an ongoing, habitual life of sin in living in opposition to God. It's basically saying, I know it's wrong, but that's walking in darkness. And then we say, if I can walk in darkness in this way, but I'm also walking in the light, it can't happen. We are either walking in one or the other. And this is a serious, serious thing. And claiming to have fellowship and relationship with God, but living in darkness in an ongoing, habitual way, we're lying. 
We're lying to ourselves. We're making God out to be a liar, it goes on to say. See, these teachers had this superior knowledge and, 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 and claimed spiritual experiences that led them to, to believe that sin wasn't a big deal or certain sins weren't a big deal. That it was okay that, that they could set their own standards of right and wrong. This is dead wrong to think that we can set those standards. We, we have to go by some standard, don't we? And, and that standard, I, I believe, the rock-solid one that we st- stand on is the living word of God. And in verse 8, it says, John mentions, John mentions those who were being deceived. There were those who, who felt that they were now so spiritual that they no longer sinned. That they had reached an elevated place of holiness and, and sin never touched them anymore. And sin never had control over them. And what John is saying here is when we say that, we're lying to ourselves and to others. And in verse 10, John goes on to say, for both of these groups, he, he's saying, if we think we can live in areas of sin or say that we don't sin, we're turning God out to be a liar. Because God's word tells us over and over a reminder to us that we have fallen short. All, every one of us have fallen short of God's standard. That we have all sinned. And sin is a huge deal. And the heart is, is deceitful. It tells us in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We can lie to ourselves about these areas in our lives. And yet God's word calls us to the reminder that we are people who continue to sin. However, as we grow in walking in the light... As we grow, another term for this can be called sanctification or being transformed to become more and more like Christ. We will have victory over sin in our lives. There are certain areas of sin that I struggled at in five years ago, 10, 15 years ago that I've had victory over. But you know what? There's still other areas. But I trust that as I continue to grow and, and I've seen this fruitfulness in my own life to the praise of God, not to my own self-discipline, but to what God has done in my life, that there is victory. But that sanctification, that transformation won't be complete until I'm in heaven and see him face to face. Then, then I will be perfect. Then and only then. Paul, the apostle, seasoned apostle, church planter, pastor, missionary, great resume. In his afterlife, well, not in his afterlife, in, in his earlier life, he, he was quite the rebel. But after serving the Lord for at least 30 years, he wrote in the book of Philippians and he says, not that I've already attained, not that I've already been made perfect, but I press on. What's he pressing on? Towards the goal. He's walking in the light. In, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he's writing to his young, dear mentor, young Timothy, and he's getting older. And he, and he, he, he proclaims in 1.15, he says to, that Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm the chief. And that was an ongoing thing. That wasn't back from his former life. That's even saying today. He says, I'm still the chief of sin- sinners. And Romans 7 shows us a glimpse. Read that. You see this battle. You start to think, okay, maybe he's a little schizophrenic. Because here he's going back and forth. The things I do, I don't want to do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of sin? Jesus. Only Jesus. And you think, wow, Paul must have been sunk. Maybe he had a lot of hidden stuff in his closet. You know, you know, like he had a, did a lot on the outside, but no. Yeah, he sure, he had a past, but God forgave him from that. But he understood the condition of his heart. And he wasn't going to fake it, that he was still struggling in areas in his life, in his own heart, even after living and doing so much for God. It's an ongoing battle. One day this week, I was in the main living area of our house, and all of a sudden... I was aware of something that we've hardly seen this spring. And it was the sun. It was a little later in the afternoon. The sun was shining in, in our living room windows. And it just changed the whole look in our, in our living room. We just haven't seen a lot of that. But you know what it did is I looked out the window. I saw, boy, those are some dirty windows. Hadn't noticed it before. And then I looked on the floor, and we have great flooring that just hides a multitude of sin, <laughs> a multitude of dirt, I guess you could say. And, and all of a sudden, I could see grass clippings and dirt and, 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 and those dust bunnies and, and, and Nate's crackers from his snack that he had. And, and you could see all this all over the floor. It's like, what are we, a bunch of pigs? Like, this is a... 
Hadn't noticed it before. Didn't notice the, the windows that need some, some attention. Hope Charlotte's listening. Uh, to, to, you know, uh, this, you know, next week because these windows are filthy. Didn't notice it until the sun shone on it, right? And the thing is that as we approach the Lord and the closer and the more we grow in holiness and in his glory and we understand who he is, we see in a greater way our sin and our imperfections and we see those areas in our life, those, those attitudes, those thoughts, and we want to bring them under his control. We want to deal with them because we want to continue to walk in this light and not to live with this dirt and this filth that, that the, the, the light is Revealing in our lives. You know, I believe so much that as we draw close to God, he draws close to us. I mean, God's word tells us that. But as we grow in our holiness and our purity, God will expose those areas in our lives one by one or sometimes a truckload at a time. Those motives of the heart, the idols of life, the distractions that get us into areas of worry, that make us angry in an unrighteous way. And when we respond in humility and dependency and authenticity like the Apostle Paul did when he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, I'm the chief of sinners. He was humble enough to be able to say that, that, hey, I'm, I've been at this for a long time, but I've still got a long ways to go. And what happens when we're dealing with this, as God's light shines on in our lives and we're dealing with it, the joy, the joy bus gets rolling in our lives. The intimacy with God, the fellowship with him and with others goes off the chart to off the chart levels. You know, I believe more and more as we see what is going on in our world, uh, can honestly say our world has gone mad. Remember before, like years ago, um, you know, 10, 15, I don't know when they, I, I don't know, even know if they still do it. You would stand in a grocery store and they would have all those magazines there just as you're at the checkout and they, you know, National Enquirer stuff. And, 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 and you knew it was fictitious. I mean, they weren't even good then at doing Photoshop, right? Like you could just see, ah, that's a fake, you know, and, and you just hear these far, you know, read these far-fetched stories about aliens or about this or that. The sad thing is now, there's all that kind of news out there, but sadly, a lot of it is now true of just the craziness and the chaos that we see in our world. And one of these things that caught my attention this past week is, is in the news of how people are redefining themselves. And they're redefining themselves in, in various ways. And, and, and I've heard of terms and I've heard of things I, I just couldn't believe. And, and, and I, I did some, some little further research to make sure what I'm telling you is, is true. But there's one way that a person refers to themselves is, is, is trans species. There's a woman in the United Kingdom who believes that she is a cat trapped in a human body. And so she puts on fake ears and a tail and purrs and meows and sits in front of the window in the sun and, and hisses at dogs and is afraid of water. And she's now 20 years old and she said she, she discovered this when she was 16. Then there's the transracial definition. A black woman who believes she is trapped in a white woman's body. Then there is trans-abled, and this one too just blows my mind. Someone who describes themselves, as, uh, or someone who has, has become disabled by choice because they feel trapped in their fully functioning, working bodies. People have blinded themselves, have become amputees, and have paralyzed themselves through accidents in order to become disabled. You're thinking, how crazy is that? Like, what is going on? A grown man identified himself recently on Craigslist as a baby and he's looking to hire a nanny. And these things just go on and on. Even our federal government. I mean, I, I saw this past week a, a new definition paper that they've put out for government employees so they can properly understand one another as well as the tax-paying public and, and that, that they deal with and, and, and just understanding the various gender definitions. And we've become familiar with hearing the LGBTQ definitions, the, the lesbian, gay, 
bisexual, transgender, queer, but now the government has put a little plus sign beside that because there's many more things. There is a cisgender. In other words, um, C-I-S. A cis cisgender is a person who identifies with the gender they were assigned at birth. I guess that's where I would be, but I want to tell you something. I wasn't assigned a gender at birth. I was assigned a gender when I was created by God in my mother's womb. That is when that gender was assigned. Genesis 1.27, God's simple answer to this mess. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then there's gender fluid. A gender identity that may vary over time. There's gender questioning, a person who is questioning. They're still in that stage. There's the two-spirit um, gender, and, and that is used for First Nations people who have both ma a male and female spirit. And there's more that I won't take time to share with you. And we say, that's unbelievable, all of this redefining. Oh, we are living with total depravity on full display before us. And how badly, folks, our land needs the Lord. Amen? Amen. And God's word has a simple answer to this, as I've read to you before. And God's word gives us the truth. And God's word provides a way for all people who are confused on this. It brings light and it shines truth into our lives and into our situation. But we don't like that three-letter word. We don't like the word sin. But before, folks, we become all self-righteous and smug and think that, you know, the world's gone to hell and it's all depraved and all of this. 1 Peter 4, 17 says, judgment starts with the house of God. We say, oh, Canada's going to be under the judgment of God, but, but God's word tells us that judgment starts in the house of God. Today, we have churches in our nation that, can be, that are reluctant or won't say the word sin for the fear of offending people or making them uncomfortable. To tell someone that they, are a, that they sin or a sinner seems unloving. We want them to know that God loves them. Yes, we do too. We want them to know that God loves them, but before that, we, they have to understand God's holiness and that we have fallen short. We understand the truth about God. We understand the truth about our sin. We're going to get to the remedy, but not yet. And so we have this going on within the churches in North America. And people, the most loving thing we can do is tell people the truth. It's like if you were to go to your doctor because of some problems you're experiencing and, and the doctor runs some tests and, and, and finds out you're sick and, and it's very sick. You are incredibly sick and unless you're treated, you will eventually die. But your doctor is loving and he doesn't want to scare you or hurt you or make you sad or, or offend you in any way. And, and that's the last thing. He, he wants to have happy patients. He wants to have patients who come to him and are happy and leave happy and you say, that's a terrible doctor. That's a terrible doctor who won't tell you the truth. He doesn't want to give that bad diagnosis. And so he doesn't tell you you're sick. And, and he sends you out the door without treatment. Everything's going to be fine. Just, just keep looking up. You would say, that doctor needs to be taken out. He needs to lose his license. But folks... In those situations, we want the truth. We need the truth. Even if the truth hurts or makes us sad or makes us cry. God's word gives us the diagnosis for our sinful condition. And left untreated becomes a stumbling block for us in the darkness and one day, hell. For those who do not respond to God in this way that we're talking about here today. It's an uncomfortable diagnosis to say the word sin. But it's the truth. But without understanding and explaining God's holiness and purity is a starting point, as well as our depravity, our sinfulness, as we've been talking here in our first two points, anything short of explaining that to people is biblical malpractice, and it's a false gospel, and it will not save a soul. God's word provides the diagnosis as well as the cure. There's freedom. There's forgiveness. 
There's healing. There's cleansing. It's all available through Christ. Amen? Wow. That's the best we can do? I'm going to say that again. There's freedom. There's forgiveness. There's healing. There's cleansing. There's all available through Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I am thankful for fellowships like Harvest and, and other f- fellowships and denominations that, where the pastors are commissioned to preach the word of God. Love that. Our number one pillar, proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. That's a wonderful thing to be able to, to have and to be able to, to be backed up in. And that's a, a, a great thing. But before we get all self-righteous and think, well, we're in a strong Bible-believing church that proclaims the word of God without apology. Before we get self-righteous in our own thinking in that way, God's word calls us in truth and humility that we have to examine our own lives. Remember, judgment begins with the house of God. We can be upset about genders and the redefinition and everything that's going on. We can be upset about what's going on within the church in North America, downplaying the subject of sin and the seriousness of it all. But we have to be asking ourselves this question. How am I making allowances for darkness, for sin, in my actions, in my behavior? In what areas am I living in disobedience to God's word? In what areas am I walking in darkness? Am I redefining sin in my own life? Oh, it's just my guilty pleasure. Oh, it's my escape. There's nothing. God and I have this understanding. He, he, he knows I, I, I'm weak in this area and, and it's really not that bad. Or, or we blame others. It, it's my spouse. It's my child. It's, that's the reason why I'm acting this way. And this is the reason why this is happening. And it's not gossip. It's, it's a prayer request. No, it's gossip. It's a little white lie. No, that's walking in darkness. Well, everyone's doing it. God will understand, we tell ourselves. We hold on to bitterness or unforgiveness because of someone who has hurt us. Maybe it's our pride in our knowledge, in our accomplishments, in, in what we have done, and, and, and there's been accolades, and people have commented, and, and instead of giving the glory to God, we've held on to some of that. These are areas that the light of God's word shines in our life and, and calls us to do something about it. You see, it's relatively easy to clean up the outside and make yourself look good, right? I don't know, I'm speaking from personal experience. I, I was tempted to bring a, a mirror that we have in our laundry room and just, just preach this right at me here this morning. I try to do that every Sunday, that I'm preaching the word. But folks, we can, we can clean up the outside and say the right things and look the right things and, and, and mm, yes, you know, mm, I will trust God. Mm, God is good, he is faithful. And in the inside, the inner attitudes and thoughts or the indifference or the selfishness or the pride or the self-righteous thoughts, the lust, the greed, the fear, the anger, it's there and it's bubbled up inside. And this is why we need to come to the best part. Number three, write this one down because this is so important. It is the remedy. The remedy and the response. We must understand the remedy. In verse 7 and verse 9, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Underline the word all. He cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all sin. Underline all unrighteousness. This great quote I came across this week and I shared it on social media. Just love it. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin the curse. Christ the cure. That's so powerful. Christ the cure. He's the remedy for what we've been talking about. He's the remedy that we need in our churches. He's the remedy that we need in our land. He's the remedy that we need in our own lives. This is the good news. This is the gospel, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the cure. There is one answer for our sin, and it's the shed blood of Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. He paid the penalty for our sins. He bore the wrath of God that we deserve. He conquered sin and death. And on Easter Sunday, we celebrate him rising in victory. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, 
as we receive this salvation that is a free gift, we are then set free from the penalty of sin. We have not yet been delivered from the presence and the power of sin. That's going to be something we're going to keep warring on and, and, and we're going to keep battling. But this is why we need to be continually be washed and cleansed. And how are we washed, cleansed? How are we forgiven? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's just quickly look at verse 9. It says, if we confess... Confess means to say the same thing. It's agreeing with God. It's saying the same thing to God that he says that that's sin. It's not just a mindless prayer. Sorry, God, kind of messed up there. No, it's stop and seeing my sin the way that God sees it and call it sin. No excuses. True confession involves naming that sin calling it what God calls it. Call it envy, call it pride, call it hatred, call it lust, call it an idol, call it deceit, call it laziness, call it anger, call it fear. And there's a sobriety about this when we do this. Godly sorrow produces a godly repentance and a godly forgiveness. God, I'm sorry for lust. Please forgive me. God, I'm sorry for getting angry. Please forgive me. To walk in the light is to be honest with God and honest with others. If our sin has involved other people and has affected them, we've hurt them and it's affected them, we need to ask for their forgiveness as well. As we walk in the light, he will expose those areas in our life. When do we confess? Do we do it like at the end of the month? You know, kind of like when it comes to our bills or I, like maybe, you know, like pay your taxes at the end of the year. You know, that's, that's a good time to confess. Communion Sunday, is that the time to confess? Now, when do we confess? End of the day? Well, that's a good time to do a little uh, exploratory examination of the day and asking God. We confess our sin the moment we realize that we sinned. We nip it in the bud. We do it right away. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his sins will not prosper. You walk in sin throughout the course of the day, you're going to walk in darkness, just in discouragement and defeat. You confess, you make that right, you're walking in freedom. You're walking in joy, you're walking in victory. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful. You'll never catch God off guard. He's never having a bad day. It's not like, um, it's a bad time for me right now, so you know, can you confess that later? Or nor is it, oh, not you again, not that same sin again. Oh, I'm tired of you. God's not like that. No, he is faithful. He is just. Lord willing, we'll get to that next week because there's so much there. And he will forgive. God's forgiveness is absolutely permanent. He doesn't bring it back up again like your friends or your family members might. He won't. God's word tells us that he buries them in the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, that's infinity. Others may bring it up and remind you God will never do that because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Done. Not coming back there, God says. We're not going to bring that one back up again. It's done. And then it says, cleanses us. And we see that word used in both verse 7 and verse 9. His blood cleanses away every impurity. No residue allowed. He washes it all away. Now, there's going to be consequences at times to our sinful past and, and to the sins that we've committed and, and we have to, to own up to that and we need to make it right and, and we need to make changes in our life. But God will give you the grace and the strength to do that. And there's a joy in the midst of that. I've been privileged to witness a friend living in another province who came clean on some, some deep areas of sin in his life. And he's had to pay the consequences. I mean, going before a judge looking at jail time. But the joy, the joy that he has because he knows that he is right with God 
And he's right with his family, those that he was hurting. And he's trying to, to, he's made it right as far as he can with others. And here is a man that's on fire for God. He's going to, he's going to court and, and he's joyful. He's got joy. Not knowing the outcome, trusting God. And praise the Lord, this week there was a good outcome to that. But when we are done confessing, it is cleansed and it is forgiven. And the fact that you and I have a relationship with God and the reason of that, then we have a relationship with one another, it's because of his forgiveness, because of the remedy, because of the forgiveness of our sin. We can then walk in the light as he is in the light. That is the secret to joy. Let's bow our heads. Folks, what we've talked about here today is serious stuff. It's powerful. It's cutting. But it's life-changing, eternity-altering, joy-giving realities. And today, even as I encourage you to spend some time even looking at your own heart, are there areas in your life where you're lacking joy, lacking victory? Are there areas of sin that need to be confessed? Are there things you need to make, make right with another? I'm going to pray this psalm over each one of us, including myself. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It was years ago as a young youth pastor in a church in a service similar to this, Afterwards, I responded to God and I said, listen, I just, I want to be close. And I was told to pray this prayer about God searching my heart and asking him to turn the spotlight. I'd sensed a distance between God and myself and I wanted, I desired to be close. I wanted to be walking in the light, not walking in what seemed like at times kind of darkness. And revealed a number of areas I needed to confess and in some of those areas were just taken care of. I just knew God forgave but one involved needing to make a situation right with a Christian brother. And then my pride got hold of me and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this. Forget it. That's humiliating. I could be in trouble. And those were the most miserable days I can remember, I think, of my life. To be walking in disobedience, to be walking in that way, knowing that God was calling me to do. I could have suppressed it and I could have just kind of settled into maybe a few years of ministry and be done. But then finally, a few nights later, I made the call and I made things right. I'm telling you, the joy meter in my life to be right with God and knowing that I was right with that brother and right with those around me. Joy, unspeakable joy. God, I pray for each one of us that we would allow you even now as these songs are sung over us, these words of who Jesus is and what he has done. Oh, would these become realities in my life, in all of our lives. God, whether it's pride or distraction, we're coveting, we're full of fear, wrong motives, maybe we're being gripped with lust or greed, trying to please people. Would we take all of these areas and just name them one by one and call it sin? because that's what you call it. Call it bitterness. Call it unforgiveness. Call it anger, self-righteousness. Maybe even justifying, oh, I have the gift of discernment. No, you're critical. Oh God, I pray that even what can sometimes start out with good intentions can become messed up by the enemy. Oh, would you just examine each one of us, examine my heart today, and may we confess and make things right and and may the joy and the life meter of walking in the light as he is in the light become a reality for my brothers and sisters here today. Just allow these songs to be sung. You'll have a chance to respond to God. If you want to come and pray at the foot of the cross, a way of driving it home, you do that.